from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Legacies are created in Game 7 moments. And last night, yesterday, we saw historic performances from one side and head-scratching moments from another that no NBA fan is going to forget anytime soon. And today, it raises questions for the winner and the loser about what's next. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. The two best words in all of sports. They say every every time we get it, it's a game seven. The two best words in all of sports. Still the Super Bowl, but it's not, fine. They say it's game seven. And Harry, I sat down. I was ready to watch it. Just a magnificent back and forth between two rivals with the Celtics and the 76ers giving us everything we could possibly handle. And for a half... That's what it was. And the second half was all about two things. It was all about Jason Tatum being absolutely historic. We will get to that in a moment. But it was also about watching the 76ers with the best player on the court, supposedly with their MVP and Joel Embiid, with the second best player on the court in the minds of many with James Harden. It was all about the best Hall of Fame coach and watching all of them come up short in a ter- just an absolute ass-whooping of a second half that turns into a defeat that 76ers fans are not going to forget anytime soon. And Fitz, I'll say this. When I think about a Game 7, I think about the stars from both teams slash the superstars for both teams showing up and trying to figure out how they can maneuver and get their team to a win to proceed on to the next series, in which is the Eastern Conference Finals in this case. Okay, we've seen Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But when we look at the stars slash superstar for the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid only had 15 points, was 5 for 18 from the field. Oh, that's head scratching. My goodness. MVP award winner, too. You look at a guy in James Harden who scored nine points. Oh, my God. In a game seven, my stomach is bubbling. My goodness, James Harden. How could you and Embiid squander an opportunity, not only in a game six, but a game seven? I didn't think the energy between the two guys were there. I didn't think they were hustling all the times up and down the basketball court. And obviously from their numbers, they let their teams down. They let their team down. James Harden and Joel Embiid. And not only that, Fitz, it was Mother's Day. So all those mothers that are Philadelphia 76ers fans that said, you know what? We're going to watch the 76ers today because our superstar player, Joel Embiid, our star player, James Harden, they're going to show up for Mother's Day. Game seven. Wrong. And I just want to apologize to all those mothers who had to witness <laughs> what they had to witness last night. Shout or out. yesterday daytime. You sure you don't want to give any shout outs? Usually there's shout outs to all the mothers. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm always show love to my breastfeed mothers out there. I love, <laughs> hey, I love yeah, mothers, period. I, I love dog. my there mothers, period. But, you know, it's hard for them babies to latch on, and it's just a process. So I give a special shout-out to them breastfeeding mothers. The pro- hey, yo! Uh, the process <laughs> is uh, ironic. Like, if I'd have told you Sunday morning that P.J. Tucker would start hot, that Tobias Harris would get 19 points, that Maxie would have 17 points, if I'd have told you you got that sort of efficiency from the rest of the roster, I think a lot of people would have thought, okay, this game's going to go some kind of way. And it was close at the half. 
this the the mind-boggling thing, and I stole this from Sarah Spain. But how many times have we watched James Harden in big game sevens forget how to basketball? Her phrase, I steal it all the yep. time. James Harden forgets how to basketball in a huge moment is absolutely invisible. And the one thing that we begged for, we pleaded for after game six, was for Joel Embiid to come out and be that guy, to demand the ball, for Doc Rivers to find a way to get him the ball, to say, hey, you will not stop the MVP. Instead, the MVP was invisible. It wasn't just that, to your point, he shot terribly, 5 of 18 from the field and 15 points. It wasn't that he had a plus minus a minus 28. No, it's none of that. It's just that it lacked urgency. It lacked purpose. They seemed to lack sort of intent to what they were trying to run offensively. James Harden wasn't just bad. He was invisible. And you can't be an MVP invisible in Game 7 and have a fan base forgive that. Well, Fitz, for me, it's inexcusable. Right. And let's get on. Let me get on James Harden for a second, because in game five, six and seven. Right. And I remember we did the ranking of the players like the, mm-hmm. the, the committee type thing. And I, I remember a caller calling in saying that James Harden should be on this list. Well, let me tell him another reason why the hell he shouldn't have been on that list again. Games five, six and seven. You know how many points in the fourth quarter James Harden had in those three games? Tell me. Goose egg. Zero. None. None. And I understand he, you know won them two games or whatnot. But for me, it's consistency, right? And how can you do it consistent? I'm not saying you got to put up 40 every game, but in a game seven, in a game six, where your team needs you the most to have zero points in the fourth quarter, in game five to have zero points in the fourth quarter, and you're supposed to be the second best player on this basketball team, you're, you're, you probably want a, a hefty payday after this season. But you can't show up when your team needs you the most? Well, and, and think about that, Harry, for a second, because, like, I know you didn't play video games. I play video games. And if you played video games, there's a turbo button you can press. It makes a guy run really fast, right? But you got to be measured about it because they run out of turbo. That's yeah. what happened in this series. Because to your point, after the 42 points, just absolute epic game for Harden in Game 5, he shot 50% in Game 6, 25% from the field in Game 7. I mean, you think about what that looks like across the board, 27%, I should say, 25%, 50%. Those three games since he scored 42, he's been absolutely Again, I'll use the word irrelevant on the court. You can't be irrelevant that much when you are James stinking Harden. Well, here's another one. In the four losses that the Philadelphia 76ers had, James Harden was 12 for 55 (laughs) from the field, three from 24 from the three-point line. Now, how are the Philadelphia 76ers going to advance with those numbers? Now, let me get on Joel Embiid. You won the MVP award this season. You're supposed to be the best player on the court at all times. In a game seven where your team needs you the most, and especially because you have been through this process for so many years with the Philadelphia 76ers, and you want to change the narrative for you to come out with the energy that you had, inexcusable. It's not MVP award-winning behavior in my eyes. And I just thought from start to finish, because you're right, it was Maxi, it was Tobias Harris, it was also P.J. Tucker early on. But Joel Embiid, to play the way that he did, between him and James Harden, they had nine turnovers. Nine turnovers. James Harden had five, Embiid had four. And that's what things really started to get off the rails in the third quarter because it was a decent game, right? Up until halftime, 55-52, the Boston Celtics was leading. 
But the third quarter is what really, really hurt the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, they had, I think, seven turnovers in that quarter alone. And you're not going to win a, basket, a basketball game turning the ball over seven times against a team like the Boston Celtics. I, I'm going to come in and just double down on what you're saying here. I feel like I'm your hype guy at the playground. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Because when you think about, by the way, Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance, when you think about what you just said, you're talking about Embiid the MVP and a game that was close at the half. I was even willing to forgive a virtually invisible first half by so many players because it was still a close game. And you thought, man, here's the moment. Mm -hmm. It is right. I don't think this wrong. I think it is right when you have the letters MVP next to your name in that season to expect more. So when I saw a close game at the half, you think this is your MVP moment. In the, we talk in college football all the time, Heisman moment. It was the MVP moment opportunity for Embiid. And instead, Embiid and the 76ers came out small and flat in the Fitz, third quarter. How? You're right. It was an MVP moment that Joel Embiid could have took advantage of. Now, it was an MVP moment for somebody else, but it wasn't for no damn Joel Embiid. Oh, you are... You are a thousand percent right. By the way, Joel Embiid after the game was asked about you know what it's going to take to get over the hump, and specifically why he and Harden you know weren't able to bring a championship home. It's going to take you know more than us. We all got to look at ourselves. I got to be better, and I will be better. Uh, that's what I'm focused on. All of us, uh, we got to you know come back and uh, find ways uh, to just keep improving and you know help the team. You can't win alone. I can't win alone. I can't. Me and James, we just can't win alone. You know that's why basketball is played five on five. So you know we just need everybody to just try to keep finding ways to get better, and uh, you know we'll we'll be fine. <sighs> okay, th this bothered me a little bit. Uh, it also kind of triggered, you know, a game a guy in Damian Lillard who retweeted, huh, with a question mark after he heard Embiid say it. It's game seven. I don't want to hear nothing about what nobody else did. You didn't play up to your capabilities. You, you won the MVP this season. I don't want to hear anything about anybody else. And if you're going to say anything about anybody else, keep it short and sweet. Yeah, keep it short. I tell people all the time that I work with and in my life, the, the best thing to do in an apology is the hardest thing in an apology, and that's to keep it short. There's nothing wrong with just saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up. You don't need the justification. You don't need the explanation. Hardest way to apologize, but most effective is to say, I'm sorry, I screwed up. In a press conference like this afterwards, all you have to say is, man, wait, well, I got to be better. I'm going to be better. It, I got to be better. That's it. The more he, you talk. He can literally say this, Fitz. I got to be better, and we'll figure the rest out. He, he just said that alone. The, the more he talks, it's like when you're in an argument with your significant other and you're like, I'm sorry, but you know, you kind of also, and like before you know it, that apology got you in more trouble. I understand what <laughs> he was trying to say, but man, keep that thing short and sweet. He'd have been in a better situation. So what's next for the Sixers? And how did the Celtics just go from the brink of elimination to being the title favorites? We'll tell you all about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. The Boston Celtics 112 and the Philadelphia 76ers 88. We felt like we were the better team and we dropped some games early in the series. And tonight the crowd got behind us. We guarded our ass off and we came out and was able to get a little storm going and they couldn't recover. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
score at TD Garden, the Boston Celtics 112 and the Philadelphia 76ers 88. Are you planning to be the coach of the team next year? Yeah, yeah, I got. I think I got two years left. So as far as, you know, my coach, I thought he's done a fantastic job. He came in. We've, I think, gotten better over the years. Uh, I thought he's done a great job. It's never just one thing in a Game 7 loss. It's a combination of so many things. Now, there's certainly a positive for the Boston Celtics. And we will on this show get to that. I promise you that. Because it was an epic performance by one superstar. But today, it feels like NBA fans, 76ers fans, NBA heads everywhere are sort of reeling over watching another loss in another big game and another opportunity lost for Philadelphia. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and, of course, on your smart speakers. Just ask them to play ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. And, look, Harry, anytime you have a result like we just had, it's going to lead to the questions of what's next, right? I mean, that's going to be mm-hmm. the natural thing because, again, Boston didn't just get beat. Boston – or, sorry, the, the 76ers didn't just get beat. They got thumped by the by the Boston Celtics, mostly with a second half that was just absolutely a nightmare for Philadelphia and for fans. This is what James Harden said at his press conference afterwards about his future with the team. What will be the things you weigh when you decide what you're going to do this summer, both with your option and what your future is if you popped out? I haven't even thought about it, no. Now, Harden hasn't even thought about his future yet. Harry, you're a former player. Tell me, but like it, it, that kind of makes sense to me. You are minutes removed from losing a game seven. I, I don't think your future is really on your mind in that moment. No, that's the last thing is on your mind. The last thing is on your first thing is on your mind is uh, how you let your team down and you didn't perform at the level that you probably should have been performing at. Plus, you're still in the just of just getting off the court. So, I, I do believe he hasn't thought about that, especially in that moment where he's been asked that question. Fits. It's just I, I don't think it's humanly possible to come off the basketball court in a game seven loss, you know, you're probably emotional because you lost, you're trying to get to the, you know, Eastern Conference final so you could face Miami, get in and live up to the to your capabilities and play at a high level, right? So that that's the last thing that James Harden was probably thinking about in that moment when he was asked that question. Probably also the last thing on Doc Rivers' mind, but you knew it was going to be asked. This is what Coach had to say after the game with the same question about his future. Hey, Doc, are, are you planning to be the coach of the team next year? Yeah, yeah, I got. I think I got two years left. So, given the tenor of what you've seen happen in the last two or three days, where coaches of the year, guys with titles, yeah, no one's know. safe in our business, you know. And I get that. I think Doc is right, and it's an important note. We've seen a lot of coaches go. Here's the thing: Let's try and have. You guys have heard a ton of conversations on ESPN Radio already about the future of the 76ers. Harry, I want to do it different. Instead of just sitting here saying, you got to do this, you got to do this, I want to pose a question. What can the 76ers do? Because I think we both believe that Doc Rivers is a very talented coach. I think we both believe that Joel Embiid is deservedly one of the best players in the NBA. And we both believe that James Harden should, in theory, be better than he was yesterday. The hard part for Philly is, I'm not sure, Harry, what the easy change is because... All, change for the sake of change is a bad idea. Change just to move things around doesn't move the needle. But ultimately, if you're the 76ers organization, you do have to be frustrated right now by the fact that it always seems yeah. to end this way. I think the first thing you start with, you look at Joel Embiid, right? He's your superstar player. 
And you look at how his game has gotten better each year under Doc Rivers, right? His points are up. Um, his assists are up. Doc Rivers actually got him playing in the post a little bit more with his back to the basket like an old traditional big man. Now, he's able to go out on the perimeter and be at the free throw line of the elbow and, you know, shoot jump shots as well. But Doc Rivers has this guy playing back inside the post like a traditional big man. We can't, we can't ignore certain things like that. And while I'm talking about Doc Rivers, I think when you have that superstar player, that it's hard for the team to flourish, right, if he is in a, in a position to be the best version of himself. And he just came off an MVP award winning season, so you have to give Doc Rivers some credit for that. I think he should be back in Philly. Um, I just also think they need to find some more pieces to the puzzle. And, and the stuff I can't, you know, I, I can't forget is that they had a chance to draft Jason Tatum, right? They chose Markel Fultz instead. They had a chance to keep Jimmy Butler. They decided they wanted Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris instead. So moves like that, in my eyes, can't Ooh. be ignored. Ooh. When you have two players that I'm talking about now, that's, you know, one that's just scored 51 on you, and then the other who's led Miami to the Eastern Conference Finals once again. So those things I can't ignore either. Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum have been to a combined seven conference finals since the Sixers said, nah, we're good. When you say it out loud and you say those names, it hits hard. And and here's the here's the hardest part about it. Like sometimes numbers don't lie, but sometimes numbers don't tell the whole story. Both things can be true. Doc Rivers is 17 and 33 in his head coaching career in series clinching games. He's three and six with the Sixers. Second worst win percentage in NBA history, right? He's lost 10 game sevens, twice as many as any other head coach ever, right? So I understand that these are problems. The 76ers led the series 3-2. Doc Rivers has lost seven playoff series when his team is up 3-2. No other head coach in NBA history has lost more than two. Those are all very real stats and very real moments that I think it's fair to say, man, there's a problem. I just don't know that suddenly you you throw that out and say, well, we're going to bring in a new coach because you're right, Harry, on what, like, the Lady Justice. On one hand, I have all of this failure in Game 7 and all of these failures in the other hand. On the other hand, I've got this rise of Joel Embiid that I'm well, watching. L- let me say this, and Kendrick Perkins touched on this a little bit this morning when he was on first take, and I, and I agree with him. When it comes to a Game 7, that's when your stars and your superstars – are supposed to be able to push through and get you over that hump. Because at that point, what you've run offensively, what you're doing defensively has been seen so much by the opposing team that now your players that you're counting on to get you over the hump should be able to do that. And I love the fact that Perk brought up that, you know, one of those Game 7 losses was to a Kobe Bryant. Another one was to a LeBron James. But he also witnessed a Paul Pierce in one of those games outplay a LeBron James as well and got the Boston Celtics over the hump, right? So you get where I'm going here? Like, it's it, 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 you got to count on your stars and your superstar players when you get to moments like that. Because yesterday, guess what the Philadelphia 76ers did? They went up big early on. Did they not? They yep. went up big. So they was ready to play. It's just that when you got to a certain point, now you're at halftime when the score is 55 to 52 and you come out for a third quarter, I need James Harden to be better. I, I, I need Joel Embiid to be better because I'll tell you this, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was. They, they were better. That's the superstar and the star player for, for the opposing team. 
they showed up. Yours did not. When when the game is on the line in a game, like your goat never played in a game seven. But here's the thing. Say, say it one more time. Your I want goat you to say it loud played. and proud. Your goat never played in the game seven. <laughs> All right. Michael here's the, Jordan. Right. Here's that the is, thing. y'all. But here's the thing. The names you've mentioned. When you talk about the Michael Jordans in clinching situations, when you talk about Kobe, when you talk about LeBron, you're not always going to win these. I think yep. there's a desperation to the energy that you see that we expect from that guy, from an MVP, from the best in the That's league. Right. There's a there's a body language, there's a fire, there's a whatever. And not, not everybody's built the same way. But you and I both know when you're watching, you can see when that guy leaves absolutely everything out there and just— Well, you can't be walking up and down the court and, you know, just— lollygagging around in a game seven where it's win or go home and you know the 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 what the being defeated has brought your mind your body your soul over the past what three or four years come on man there is a there is a i'll use the word again there's a desperation you see to the greats in that moment and i just i didn't feel i didn't feel it popping through the tv maybe that's a me thing but it just it certainly felt like there was something Missing and in a game seven, when it wasn't missing from the other side, uh, history's not going to forget that. We, we've got a ton to break down on this series and a ton of praise to give Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. I promise you that's coming. Coming up, the one NBA star said his mistakes off the court impacted his team on the court. So, how in the world was he allowed to? Did he allow it to happen again? We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Breaking news where the Memphis Grizzlies have suspended John Morant from all team activities after another Instagram Live video surfaced, apparently showing him with a handgun. It was easy to defend John Morant the first time. You're in a bad spot when you lose the benefit of the doubt. And I think he's lost that. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Breaking news where the Memphis Grizzlies have suspended John Morant from all team activities after another Instagram Live video surfaced, apparently showing him with a handgun. At the end of the day, it's not just about John Morant. It's about you being a global superstar for this multi-billion dollar league where the faces of those leagues face a different level of scrutiny. Morant served an eight-game suspension in March after he displayed a handgun during an early morning Instagram Live session from a Denver area strip club. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And the Memphis Grizzlies are back in the news, even though their season is over. Because as you just heard, John Morant seen over the weekend on an Instagram live, waving what appears to be a gun. He's been suspended from team activities pending a league review regarding the social media post. Memphis Grizzlies announced that Sunday. Here's the quote. We are aware of the social media post involving John Morant and are in the process of gathering more information. NBA spokesperson Mike Bass said in a statement, uh, we all saw this. Most of you have seen it at this point. It was Saturday. It was on Morant's friend's Instagram live, and it appeared that he flashed a handgun while driving and singing along uh, with the song. So 
There are a couple important things, Harry. Uh, number one, to quickly just give some detail, I reached out uh, to a couple of people that know the league well to try and figure out, number one, the, the question everybody keeps asking, uh, has he broken any rule? Well, here's the thing to know. He's in Tennessee where he has the right to carry as long as he has a permit. He wasn't doing anything illegal. He didn't violate any state rules, and he likely didn't violate any team rules because the NBA collective bargaining agreement doesn't allow you to have a handgun at a team facility, at a team event, or during team travel. So he didn't violate any of those things. However, when he was suspended by the league earlier this year, they let him know that he couldn't act this way. So now his violation would come under the conduct detrimental to the league umbrella. So it's a total different thing. The league basically sat down with him when they told him before that they wouldn't accept this behavior and said he can't do this. Now that has opened the window for punishment to come here. I think it's important to have that clarity for everyone that's saying, well, he didn't do anything wrong. The NBA warned him he could not do this. So he has, by rule, done something specifically they told him he could not do. And that's an important moment. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's so sad and unfortunate for John Morant. Um, because of his decision-making, his actions, and quite frankly, making a mockery of the NBA shield, right? When you got suspended those eight games and you had already had some games under your belt, um, you were able to come back, you did the video with, J- with, with Jalen Rose or whatnot, and you tried to make it seem like you were remorseful and you were going to make better decisions. And then to go on um, on your friend's Instagram Live and, and, and flash a, a handgun after that, lets us know that, no, you haven't learned your lesson. The $39 million slash $40 million that you lost because you didn't make all uh, NBA team because the voters probably, you know, viewed you sideways for your actions and what you had done in that matter and brandishing another handgun while you were in Denver at a a, uh, late night spot. So for me, it's just, it comes down to decision making, right? And this, these conversations fits. I have with my nephew all the time. Um, on how to use social media and what to do and what not to do. And it's sometimes, not saying him in particular, sometimes this, our younger generation, they think like we're, we're constantly like just talking to them and talking at them versus trying to give them a sense of light of things to make them better as people so they don't cost themselves at some point $40 million or end up in a situation like John Moran is in. But for me... I'm looking, I'm looking at the guys that he are, that he's around and my, my friend sent me a text message Fitz, and I'm pretty sure you have fit uh, friends that, you know, have your best interests. And when you surround yourself with people who want you to win, but also want a a ton for, for yourself as well, they won't allow you to do stupid things like this. Now, let me mention, I'm not calling John Morant stupid. What he did was stupid though. Mm -hmm. It was a stupid act in my, in my opinion, but my friends literally texted me and told me, I'm going to tell you exactly how they said it. Jacob and Jamal. Jacob texts me and Jamal in, in, in a group text. Jamal, we would have literally beat Harry ass before we let him throw his career away. In which John Moran, I'm not going to say his career is done, but you know it's not looking good right now. The track record that he's on. Yeah, uh, well, My friends told me they would have beat me up before they allowed me to do stuff like that. It speaks to circles, right? It speaks to who's around you. It speaks to expectation. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN senior in, NBA insider on Get Up said this about what discipline John Morant is likely facing. There was some leniency in that eight-game suspension with John Morant that he met with him in the league office. He took John Morant at his word uh, that he was contrite, that he understood that his behavior had to change. It wasn't just 
the gun incident in the club in Denver. It had been a pattern of incidences with John Moran that the league had spent better part of a year plus investigating that there was a, a pattern of really disturbing uh, behavior that concerned the Grizzlies, concerned the league, and that an eight-game suspension, it was really just two games retroactive that he let him off fairly easy. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. I think John Moran is facing a lengthy, a significant suspension to start next season, if indeed uh, that was a firearm in his hand. Now, Harry, I, I will, I've never sort of uh, hidden the fact that I like edibles, right? We talk about that on the show. We joke about that all the time. I like edibles. Uh, but that I, I go back to when I was touring, because I think this is an important note for people. I was touring in a, a, on a tour bus, at a time when legalization was happening across the country, right? And what was interesting is one particular tour I was on had a very strict no-drug policy. That was just a very strict, you, they did not allow any of it anyway, any sort. And it used to be a discussion with some of the crew and band guys. We would get into like Washington State or Denver or Colorado when it's legal. And everybody would say, well, why can't we go to the dispensary? And the answer was, we can't go to the dispensary because even if it's legal where we are, the rules have been set up by the people that that are that pay our checks and they say we can't do it. So whether it makes sense or not, you have to understand is it worth that? That was a real conversation we used to have on the road all the time because the rules that you are given from your employer are far more important than the rules that you're being given at that point from whatever you think your rights are in that situation because you have an employer with a certain expectation. What Woj is talking about there speaks loud to that in my opinion. Like it speaks mm -hmm. loud to the fact that hey, we let you off light the first time and now it's happening again uh, the question is does a significant suspension really matter like if you already lost 40 million bucks likely last week how much money are you going to have to lose from a suspension before you're like oh damn i really should take this into well, mind well that's the thing that st stood out to me when Woj was talking about you know the things that john john moran have done previously like we talk about the pattern right the, the nba and also uh the memphis grizzlies they've seen a pattern of john moran not putting himself in the best situations possible well that also speaks to the people that you're around. And at some point, do you want better for yourself? You have an opportunity right now, and you have been uh, one of the faces of the NBA. I, I wouldn't necessarily put him in that category right now because of the, the, you know, the street that he's going down. But you're making generational wealth money that, that can change a lot of things in your family. There are people on the outside looking in wishing they was in this position to be able to provide for their family like you are able to do because you're able to play basketball at a very, very high level. So why squander that because you think it's cool to, you know, showcase a gun on Instagram Live? Like, well, that's the world we're living in right now, man. When 2023, like, we, we want to show guns and stuff. And, and I was always taught, be careful what you show because somebody else may think something and they may have something as well, and it might be used even if you, you're just showing it. it who, who's to say, Fitz, a car is beside John Morant and they see a gun flashing and think, you know what, this guy's trying to shoot me, and they retaliate. Th these are all the kind of things you got to think about, man. Like, I, I, I don't get it, and I don't get the mindset of some of these young kids nowadays, but it needs to change because now it's going to start costing them money and they're going to be looked upon in a, in a bad light. Yeah, and it's all about the circle that's around him. He needs somebody to say, hey, wake up, and that message hasn't been received more. We'll keep you updated on John Morant. We've got a lot to say on it, and obviously our eyes are on the NBA. If we hear anything, we will break in right away with the NBA and what they decide to do with John. But this NBA playoffs has become completely unpredictable. My track record of trying to prove it is absolute proof of that. So we'll explain after Harry what we can predict.
Fitz and Harry, the podcast. The good news at this point is I don't really have to watch the Lakers game. I know if they won because all I have to do is open up Twitter and see everybody saying, this you, this you, this you. Yes. I said the (laughs) Lakers wouldn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. And again, over the weekend, they proved me wrong. At this point, I don't think I can loudly, like I've said loudly enough on this show how many times I got plenty of crow to eat. The Lakers got a big win over the Warriors. They ended things in six games. They advanced to the Western Conference Finals. And I'm just sitting around here saying, good God, I got nothing to say other than a holy hell, tons of praise for L.A. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, who tried to walk me off that ledge before I, uh, I did it to myself, really. I'm Jason Fitz. LeBron and AD were getting it done in Game 6 against the Warriors. Getting it done. Brought to you by Granger with supplies and solution for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Harry, there is no doubt that it is difficult to figure out this year's playoffs. Like we have a we have a Lakers team that's a seven seed. We have a Miami team that's an eight seed. I mean, hearing everybody count Miami out. Last time I checked. They beat the Bucs in the first round. Like, I'm not counting. Yep. We got a, a Lakers team that went in and game six, Clay, ha, they, they laughed that off. They shrugged that off. Non-existent. I, Non-existent. It, you got to look at this and say, man, if you're the Lakers, you're going into a matchup against Denver. You got to feel pretty good. Your two stars are healthy, and that's been the biggest question. How long? Well, for a very, very long time. Um, since these guys won the championship the first time in, back in 2019-2020 season, right, when they won it down in the bubble. And I'll say this, and just watching Anthony Davis be able to put four games uh, together in a row versus the Golden State Warriors was phenomenal to see. Also, we've seen, you know, Friday in a game six, in a closeout game, LeBron James really, really be aggressive, right, and push the envelope to try to get, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers over the hump to advance to the Western Conference Finals. Well, now they did that, and what's now on the table – uh, for the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, it's an opportunity to win the Western Conference Finals versus the Denver Nuggets and reach a NBA Finals. And the the marquee thing when it comes to this matchup uh, for me, Lakers versus Denver, I think it's Jokic and Anthony Davis. Who's going to be the best player in this series? And I think who comes out as the best player, I think their team is the one that will advance to the NBA Finals. Now, back in 2019, when the Lakers won their championship, these two teams faced off in the Western Conference Finals. And Anthony Davis got the best of Nikola Jokic at that moment. Anthony Davis was a monster in that Western Conference Finals um, series. So now here we are again some years later, and these two guys are the highlights, I think, of this series. I think that matchup is so key. You're right. And I'll tell you why I think why in a second. But first – 
we should hear from LeBron James. This is what the Lakers forward had to say with Lisa Salters after the Game 6 win about facing Denver in the conference finals. It's going to be a great series. you got two well-coached teams. Um, you know, they've, they've been the number one seed in the West all year long, so we give them a lot of respect. And we come in with that series with a lot of respect for Denver and what they can accomplish and what they can do against us. And if we're not locked in, um, you know, they, they'll put it to us. So take a couple days, uh, but we will lock in on our assignments and uh, we understand what they possess. I know what they possess, and uh, we'll be ready for it on Tuesday. Harry, I think both sides have a we haven't seen this before moment in this year's playoffs. You're right, we've seen this matchup in the past, but what we have in this year's playoffs is AD taking on somebody that has a lot more size than he's used to seeing. But the flip side of it is Jokic is going to have to guard farther out, much farther out to the perimeter than he's used to. Could be an athleticism mismatch, right? So, like, on the one hand, AD hasn't faced another tree uh, at the basket. He will this yep. time. But that tree is going to have to have some uh, some some pep in their step to get through this. So I, I'm really interested to see where this thing goes. Well, I think the advantage for me when it comes to the series is Anthony Davis because the athleticism just jumps off the, uh, off the charts. Nikola Jokic, we know he's not the most gifted when it comes to that, but he's so skillful. Being in that triple threat to, uh, position where he can pass, shoot, or dribble at any given time, being able to create space with his body, right? We, all, we always joke about his body, him having a little belly. Well, he knows how to use it well because he's not a guy that plays above the rim. But Anthony Davis in the athleticism, being able to, you know, get to certain spots and be dominant, but also being a, a, a floor leaper and jumping up off the ground and playing above the rim, I think that's an advantage for, for AD. Um, I think Nikola Jokic also was looking forward to this matchup because he understands how it went the last time these two teams faced off in the Western Conference Finals. And he's a two-time MVP award winner. And don't just think for by any means that he forgot about 2019 and 2020. He wants his get back. But also, I think those two guys are the staple for this series. But, you know, the Lakers have a LeBron James. Will Jamal Murray be phenomenal in this series? Will Michael Porter Jr. be phenomenal in this series? And can those guys be consistent, right, and not just have one nice game here and then the rest of them be subpar? That's also a key in this series. But everything goes through Jokic and AD uh, from both teams. I feel like this is a legacy-making moment opportunity for Jokic. I, I, I realize that's cliche when people say it, but here's the thing. Like, you can be so good that you now devalue somebody else. That's exactly what just happened by Jokic against DeAndre Ayton, who went from being a guy that was like, no, 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 there's a ceiling on him to a guy that's like, why? Why are you even on the court, right? Like, Jokic did that. Jokic is going to have the power and ability to do that again. We'll see if he can take advantage of it because we'll view the stars differently in this series. All right, coming up, a star will join us to break down all the NBA action for the playoffs next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 